are listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life on the Palouse, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, we're going to keep this theme of investing in the next generation as we move into our new series. For the last four months or so, we've been working through Paul's letter to a church that he planted in Corinth. And we're going to move into a time where we're going to look at a gentleman, a young man that Paul found in the middle of nowhere that he called to follow him and became a part of the ministry that Paul was, that God had Paul on. That guy's name is Timothy. And we're going to spend some time learning who Timothy was. We're going to, we're not going to do the deep dive into the books, the letters of Timothy like we did with Corinthians. We're going to draw some main points throughout those letters that Paul wrote to him that we believe God has shown us that he wants us to share with you guys because it will apply to you today just like it did for Timothy back then. And today, I'm going to introduce you to Timothy, a young man who was caught between two cultures and really didn't belong in either one. And share with you that story of how Paul found him in the middle of nowhere in this little town and invited him to be a part of what God was doing in the region, to come alongside him, to learn about who God was, and to spread that gospel to the rest of the world. Before I get into this story, I just want to put this out there. This teaching today is influenced by a teaching that I have sat under for the last several years. If you follow and sit under the teaching of people like Ray Vanderland, Aaron Couch, or Marty Solomon. A lot of this stuff is going to sound familiar to you. This is, these are just a couple of the, the men and women that I prefer to sit under and learn. So no shock to you. I'm, I'm giving you the warning up front. There will be some similarities. So, of course, our introduction to, to Timothy's story starts with Paul. What good story in the Bible doesn't start with Paul? And as you most, most of you remember, Paul used to go by the name of Saul. Back in the day when he was a zealous Pharisee that was trying to smite out a rebellion in his mind, a, a hypo, hypocritical uh, movement that had started with these people who had been following Jesus and saying that he was the Messiah, and he was doing everything he could to try to quell that movement. And he was really successful at it. Until one day, he met the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And his mission changed from trying to destroy the good news of Jesus Christ to being a vital tool of dispersion of that good message into the world. Now, Paul, some years after this, was living in a town called Antioch in Syria. This is where he based his ministry out of. And one day, the elders, the leaders of that church, decided to send Paul and Barnabas, his ministry companion, out on the mission. And as they leave Antioch in Syria, they go on the first of three missionary journeys that we know of that Paul will take. 
There's a map here I want to show you guys of this journey. You see Antioch, he starts in right there. He goes across the Mediterranean Sea, hits Cyprus, some towns, and then eventually he ends up in the north part of that map in a town called Antioch in Pisidia, or Pisidian Antioch, as the text will say. And all along the route, their normal method of ministering was they would, they would go into the synagogue and they would preach the good news. And it was no different when they got to Pisidian of Antioch. They did the same thing. On the Sabbath, they went in. They shared the good news of Jesus Christ. People were very interested and intrigued with what they had to teach them. So they invited them back to come next week. Come back next week and, and keep talking to us about this stuff you're talking about, this Jesus. And so they stayed in the city, and the next week they came back. And as, when they came back, there was a huge crowd of people there. And they went to go teach, the, teach them about Jesus Christ. And the Jews that had invited them back the first time started to get a little jealous. They started to see that Paul and Barnabas are having way more influence on the people of the city than they did. And so they went to the, the rulers and the influential of that town and, and convinced them to shoo out Paul and Barnabas. So they kicked them out of the city. They were no longer welcome. And as they kept on, they left the city, moved south into a town called Iconium, and they repeated the same thing. Go into the synagogue. Teach about Jesus Christ. And in this city, they had different reactions. Half of them, the Jews and the Gentiles that were living in there, accepted and loved what Paul and Barnabas were bringing to them, and half of them did not. Those half that did not decided that they were going to try to uh, go after Paul and Barnabas. They planned they wanted to, to actually stone them. But then Paul and Barnabas found out about this idea that they were having these plans to, to discredit them and to kill them, so they escaped in the middle of the night. And they go to this next town, this little town in the middle of nowhere called Lystra. And it's there in the text that we're going to pick up the story. So if you have your Bibles, you turn to Acts chapter 14 with me. We're going to start in verse 8. Here's what God's word says. In Lystra, excuse me, in Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw that Paul had done, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bowls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifice to them. I'm going to pause here for just a second because I know that when I have read this text in the past, and maybe you're just hearing it or reading it for the first time, I was like, what in the world is going on? 
why do these guys think that they are Greek gods? And in the past, I'm like, oh, well, next verse. And just kept on going. But there's some interesting cultural context that I wanted to share with you guys here that I think will help open up what God's word is saying here. Because you see, this is a, a Greek culture. And as you know, there's lots of mythologies, lots of myths about gods that exist in this time. And there is one in particular that I want to share with you. So one day, Zeus and his son Hermes, who is the god of messenger, the messenger god, come down to earth and they take on human form. And they enter into this Lyconian city. And they are going from house to house and they're asking for them to, to take them in, to, to house them for the evening and maybe feed them. And every person all along the way shuts the door in their face and kicks them out. Until finally one day, they come along this, to this house on a hill. And it belongs to these folks named Baracus and Philemon. This is an older couple that doesn't have a lot. They're poor. And they knock on the door and they're like, oh, please come in, come in. Have a seat. Let us feed you. We'll, we'll give you everything we, can, we have. I, we don't have a lot, but here, here's some wine. And as they're serving them wine, the wife, Bacchus, notices that the pitcher never empties. It always refills itself. And they're like, oh, my goodness. These are gods. The gods are here. And then they're like, oh, we have this pet goose that we'll kill for you. And they're like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. But we want to just tell you guys, because of your hospitality, because how you treated us and, and brought us in and, and welcomed us, we're not going to destroy you. Come with us. And they take them outside. And like, we're going to destroy this whole town because nobody would let us into their house. Nobody showed us hospitality. So they wipe out the whole town. And they turn Bacchus and Philemon's home into a temple to Zeus, and the two of them become priests for Zeus, and their only request to Zeus and Hermes was that, please let us die at the same time. And so when the day finally came for them to die, they, instead of dying, turned into two intertwining trees and grew up to that. So this is the story. This is the story that would be going on in the heads of the people of Lystra as they see these two men walk into their town, spreading a message, doing miraculous things. And so their response is, the gods are here again. And they're going to do whatever they can to make sure that they don't get destroyed like those in the story did. Let's keep reading and see what Paul's response is. Verse 14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. 
In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even these words, even these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. These are the two cities that they were just in. Jews from these two cities showed up in Lystra to rile up the crowd and get them against Paul and Barnabas. This is like if a group of angry people up in Coeur d'Alene decided that they were going to walk down here along Highway 95 because they were mad at Josh and something that he said. They pick up some more angry people in Potlatch and then they show up here on our doorstep and they convince all of you to, to be angry with them. These are some very upset Jews to go almost 100 miles just to convince other people that Paul's message is heretical. It goes on. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. Holy smoke. He was dead. But that did not deter him. He got back up and went back into the city to keep spreading God's word. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, where he had just been stoned. Iconium, where he was kicked out. And Antioch, where he was also kicked out. Strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. In that little town of Lystra, there was a little boy, maybe 10, 12, 14 years old. A little boy by the name of Timothy. And he would have seen all that had just happened. He would have seen Paul and Barnabas come into the city and heard the message that they were preaching. A message about a rabbi in Jerusalem who died for your sins. Who was buried and was raised to life again three days later. And invites you into his kingdom where there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave. We are all one. And this young man would have, I'm sure, tried to get closer as he heard this. But as he squeezed his way through the crowds, I imagine people were pushing him away. Get out of here. What are you doing in here? You don't belong here. Get out to the south side. What are you doing? There was nothing that Timothy had done. 
No, Timothy's status, his, his station in life had to do with something completely different. Something that was out of his control. You see, years before this, a young Jewish woman that the text tells us, her name is Eunice, was living in this area. And she found a man, a Greek man. Now, we don't know what the extent is of their relationship, if they actually were married, if they weren't married, if it was an illicit affair. I, the text is not, not clear on that. Nor is it clear what happens to this man, but what we know for sure is that her relationship with this guy results in her becoming pregnant. And what would have happened is after she had, had finally given birth to her son, she would have brought her son to the synagogue, to the rabbi, and presented him and said, Rabbi, here is my son, my son Timothy. Rabbi, it is time, it's the eighth day, circumcise him. Give him the sign of the covenant that we have with Yahweh. But the rabbi would have looked at her and said, I cannot. You are right. Today is the day that we are to present him and and usher him into the community as Torah commands, as is our custom. But I cannot circumcise him. Not today, not any day. And Eunice would have been like, why? Why can't you? He's done nothing wrong. He's only a baby. Why can't you bring him into the community? And the rabbi would have said, Torah also states that if a child is born of a union that is not kosher, that is not looked upon with favor from the Lord, that, that child is a mumser. His father is Greek, he cannot be ushered into the the community. I'm sorry. Torah says even to the 10th generation of his descendants, they cannot be brought into the community because of your decision of having a forbidden union with this Greek man. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the devastation that Eunice felt in that moment? The thoughts that were going through her head. As she thought about the consequences of her decision and how they did not just affect her, but they were spilling out to the rest of her descendants. I imagine it's similar to what many of us have gone through. As we realize that some of our choices lead to consequences that don't stop with us. 
that our consequences bleed out and affect other people, just like a rock dropping in a pool of water and the ripples go all the way to the edge. Destruction happens all around us. Timothy was a mumser. And his people would his mother's people would not accept him. His father's people probably would see him as a half breed. Stuck in two cultures and accepted by neither. But then in town comes strolling this guy named Paul. And he's talking about that rabbi who flipped the world on its head. I just imagine as Timothy heard those things for the first time that he felt hope. Felt hope for the first time in his life that he could actually be a part of a community. That he could actually have a place in God's plan. Who knows for sure what point Timothy makes that decision to be a follower of Christ, whether it's when Paul is first there or when he comes back through. Maybe it's the believers that are still in the town that help usher him and his family into a believing faith of Jesus Christ. But what we know is that he was definitely walking the walk. He was building his faith. Because years later, when Paul comes back around on his second missionary journey, he comes through Lystra again. And we see in Acts chapter 16 what happens when Paul comes back through. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish, Jewish and a believer but whose father was Greek. The believers of Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him, and Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey. I I wonder if in that moment, when Paul saw Timothy and got the report from the believers in, in Lystra and Iconium that this Young man has great potential. He studies the word well. He understands it. He's excited for it. And when Paul went to him and said, Timothy, I hear good things about you. I want you to come along with me. Come, follow me. I wonder if in that moment, Timothy thought to himself, I I can't do that. I wonder if he forgot the new identity he had in Christ and struggled with his old. I'm just a mumser. I don't belong anywhere. I'm not worthy to to walk alongside you, Paul. I, I can't do that. Don't you know my past? There's no way God could use me. I imagine if If Timothy said that, that Paul would have just looked at him and smacked him upside the head. 
Timothy, don't you know that the old has passed away and you have become a new creation? Timothy, come. Come with me. You are worthy. God has something planned for you that is great and mighty. You are worth it. Follow me. Walk the path that he has for you. You know, maybe, maybe that's how it played out. Maybe it's not. But there is one thing I know for sure. Is that each and every one of us, at some point in our lives, maybe that point is right now, have felt like Timothy could have that day have felt like you were on the outside of community, have felt like you didn't have a purpose, that maybe God didn't have a plan for you. Maybe you didn't have an active part to play in his kingdom. And maybe that's because you felt like you didn't have the right pedigree or you, you didn't have the right education to qualify You just felt like you were not right to do anything for the Lord. I have felt that that is one of my primary struggles in life. And I don't know why God keeps bringing this message to me. Maybe this isn't for you guys at all. This is probably just for me. I know six years ago, just over six years ago, I was, I don't remember where we were coming back from. We're coming up the grade. It's me. I think Josh was in the truck with us. Aaron Couch, Michael Reyes. Aaron and Michael were the two of the founding families of this amazing church that we get to call home now. And we're riding up the hill, and I, I knew I had a question that I had to ask Aaron, but I didn't want to. Because a couple of days before that, maybe a week or so, Michael had said, hey, I I would like for you to think about leading a life group. I have these folks over here who would really like to host a group. They want to get into a group, but they don't have anybody to lead it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll, I'll think and pray about that, I guess. But I didn't want to say yes to that question. Because as I've shared up here before, like when we moved over here, I was coming out of a very, very difficult, dark season in my life. I had just walked out of a time where I'd, I had completely walked away from God. I didn't want to have anything to do with him. I didn't want to have anything to do with his people. I'd just been hurt too many times. How's it done? And I tried to blow up my life, blow up my family, and I was pretty successful. So as we're sitting in that pickup going up the grade, I I just looked at Aaron and I said, hey, how would you feel if I led a life group? (laughs) He looked at me, he's like, 
what are you even talking about? I'm like, well, I mean, you know my story. You know how I've walked away from God. You know my mistakes. You know I am those mistakes. That's who I am. And Aaron looked at me. And if he could have reached me, I think he would have smacked me upside the head too. But he said, no! You are not those mistakes. That may have been the things that you did, but that is not who you are. You are worthy to walk with the Lord. He has a plan for you. He has a purpose for you. The calling he put on your life has not gone away. Walk the path. I don't know if there's any of you here today. I know there are. I know there are some of you here today that need to hear that same thing. Whether you are in a place where you are just utterly broken, you don't know how to get put back together. Whether you're in a place where you just feel spiritually stagnant, maybe you're just struggling with doubt, and if you even believe this God stuff, maybe you are in a great place and you are super confident in God's calling we all still need to hear you are worthy you are worthy God has a plan for you you were made on purpose for a purpose He has laid out a path before you to walk, to be a part of his his great plan to restore all things unto him. He has a path for you. Walk it. Walk that path. We're going to take this time to go to communion. If you didn't get a chance to grab one of these delicious morsels on your way in, we're going to have some guys on the, on the back that can bring you some. If you just raise your hand, they'll bring it to you. If you're new with us today, you don't have to be a member, partner, regular attender to share in communion with us. We would love for you to share. The only thing that we ask is that, that you have made that decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that you have surrendered your life to him. If that's you today, we'd love for you to celebrate with us in communion. A few years back, uh, Jesus Culture put out a song that I really love called Defender. And what I really love in particular about this song is the bridge that is there. And the bridge goes something like this. It says, And when I thought I lost me, 
you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, or sorry, yeah, you picked up all my pieces and you put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. For me, communion is a a great weekly reminder of those truths and that bridge that we get to be reminded that in those moments, in those in our life that we feel like we are lost and we cannot be found, God knows right where you are. And he brings you back and reintroduces you to his love. In those times where you feel like you couldn't have messed up anymore and you are just broken into a million pieces, God can get all the pieces together and put you back together. And he is the defender of your heart. So as we look at the bread this morning and and we're reminded of on that night that he was betrayed and Jesus took the bread and he broke it and gave it to his guys that were with him. He said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's remember how he reintroduces us to his love each and every day. And after dinner, he took the cup, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us remember that he is the defender of our heart. Father God, Lord, I just pray for us today, Lord, as as we continue on into this series, we look at your servant, Timothy, and look into the letters that Paul wrote to him. Lord, just help us to see that there is a bit of Timothy in all of us. That in those moments where we are feeling like we are not worthy of, of your love or somebody else's love and acceptance, in those moments where we can feel like we don't have a place, we don't have a part to play in your, your plan to put the world back together, that Lord, you remind us we do. We are made on purpose. We have been invited into the plan of restoration. That you love us no matter, no matter what our brokenness is, no matter what our brokenness will be, that you will put us back together and set us back on the path. Lord, help us to walk the path boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us by visiting liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.